0: Mark chapter number 11, and we're going to start in verse number 15. Mark chapter number 11 and down verse number 15. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and brought in temp- and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables at the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written... My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was was come, he went out of the city. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for our time to be in your word. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn some great truths from your word this morning. Or oh, I pray you calm us from the busyness of life, and Lord, just to focus upon you and help us to be more like you. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. This day, the day before this event, I should say, Jesus had presented himself to the people on Palm Sunday, as we know, when in Jerusalem. And in fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. And the people praised him, right? They, they sang Hosanna to him, and the religious leaders refused to honor him as king that day. And when Jesus arrived on that day, he went to the temple and he looked around. He looked around. And apparently, when Jesus visited the temple, he was seeing things he didn't like. You could say that Jesus did some reconnaissance on the temple the day before. And... This next day, he comes in on the Monday, and he addresses the things that he saw on Sunday, and he took some serious steps to rectify the problems that were occurring in the temple on this day. First of all, a little bit of a description of the temple is needed for us, because I mean, you've probably have seen pictures. I know I have. I know I've heard uh, series on the temple. People preach about it, or at least uh, take, taught about it. So we're going to go through a little bit just to understand a little bit about it. So we're told that Jesus found people selling and buying goods in the temple. He finds people exchanging money there, currency, and he still finds others walking through the grounds as uh, any other part of the city. So we need to understand how the uh, temple and the grounds were arranged. So the temple complex uh, sat on top of Mount Zion. Uh, Cover an area of about 35 acres. Now I was, you know, my kids think I'm old, but I wasn't old enough to see it, okay? Just telling you what I can find in information and resources I have. And So it was about 35 uh, acres in uh, diameter, or actual physical spot. Uh, the outer walls of the temple were between 1,000 and 1,300 feet in length, so it's, uh, it was a big place. And a person could enter the ground. So if uh, we were able to go the, at that time, the day of Jesus, uh, to the temple, we were allowed to go into what's called the court of the Gentiles. And this area was open to all people who wanted to come and worship God. Everyone was allowed to enter here. Uh, it didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile. you were allowed to enter this area and pray and meditate. And from the models that I have seen and looked at uh, through pictures and things, it's a pretty big area. It, it wasn't small. It was a pretty big area. And had you moved further into the temple grounds, you would have come to a low wall. And beyond this wall was called the court of the women. On this wall, there was a sign warning Gentiles, don't go any further. You have to stay in this court. The next court is just for Jewish women and men and the priests, obviously. You can't go any further. And uh, if they defied that, they could be killed. Okay, it was very strict. All right, it was very important not to do that. Only the Jewish men and women could enter there. And beyond that, it was called the court of the Israelites. Now, Jewish women could enter that court only if they were bringing a sacrifice to give to the priests. The Jewish men were allowed in there at any time, uh, women just when they came for a sacrifice for themselves. And beyond that was the court of the priests, which makes sense. It's for the priests and the high priests and those working. And beyond that is uh, the Holy of Holies. And we know only once a year that a High priest was allowed to enter there. So, all the events that we're going to look at here took place in the court of the Gentiles. Just trying to give you a little bit of context. So, uh, the population of Jerusalem regular, regularly, without a, the Passover, was about 80,000 people. So, it was a fair sized city, population wise. <coughs> but when, po- when the Passover showed up, it grew to astonishing 2 million. Two million people. So obviously people were camping everywhere, people were leaving in the streets, whatever. They came from all over the world. They came to the temple. They came to worship God. And in those days, prior of the Jewish worship involved the sacrifice of animals. Okay, These animals had to meet certain standards. You, you, you want to learn all about all those standards, go back into uh, the first couple of books of the, uh, of the New Old Testament and the laws given out, Le- Leviticus and things, and Deuteronomy. You'll find these things that... This is what the animal needed to be. And they had to meet the certain standards before they could be sacrificed, and they had to be approved by the priests before that happened. Apparently, the high priests in Caiaphas allowed vendors to sell approved, clean animals in the outer court of the temple grounds. That would be the court of the Gentiles. Because uh, there are animals being sold in the temple, the pilgrims who came to the town would not have to bring their own animals, right? If I was coming from Egypt, uh, you know, I didn't have to bring my uh, offering, my sacrifice from Egypt to there because I knew when I got to the temple, I could buy it there, and you know, it it saved me the chance that uh, I bring an animal and then the high priest would say no, it's no good. Then I would have to go find one. So you know, this was somewhat convenient. Mark, uh, Mark mentioned they sold doves as well. Doves were the sacrifice for the poor. Those who could not afford sheep, goats, or bulls could offer an inexpensive bird, a dove. Doves were what Mary, the mother of Jesus, brought as a sacrifice in Luke chapter 2. There was other items in the temple used for worship that were sold here. Wine, oil, flour, salt. They all have been pronounced clean on the site. So when you got there, it was convenient. You could get it. The money changers uh, were there. And they provided a service. Every Jewish male was required to pay one-half shekel ransom at each census in Israel. Now, that was before the captivity. After the captivity, when Nehemiah brought them back, the fee became yearly and was fixed at one-third of a shekel. So a shekel is about one-half ounce of silver. So if that yearly tax was today, it's about $8. Okay, that's what they would have to give. And it was called the shekel of the sanctuary. And this tax had to be paid in Jewish currency. So thus, other currencies were not accepted, so that's why the money changers needed to be there. That's why they were necessary for the pilgrims, because they, they had all kinds of different currencies. The, the money changers would be there and have the right currency to exchange back and forth. Very convenient. Very convenient. You know, uh, there's talk of verse 16 where they carried vessels through the temple. You know, if you would look at uh, the plan or the uh, picture of what they believed Jerusalem looked like at this time, with the temple there, you would see that the temple courtyard, the, the courtyard of the Gentiles, provided a quick path between the east part and uh, the Mount of Olives that acted like almost like a key lock. Uh, between the both sections of the city. And uh, so it was very, man, it would save you a whole lot of time to go through that court. Very convenient. To most people that morning at the temple, if they got there before Jesus, things were taking place as they always did. It was necessary. It was okay. It was convenient. And most people had no problem with the way the system was working. But when Jesus showed up, he had a problem. He had a problem. So we see a bit of description of the temple there, but now we see a disturbance at the temple. Jesus came to the temple that morning knowing exactly what He would find because He saw it the day before, right? He was there the day before. He knows what He's getting into. He knows what's there. And He's coming this day to do something about the situation. Um, This day when Jesus shows up at the temple, He's not meek and lowly okay he's coming into the house, the temple he's coming in as the line of the tribe of Judah he's not happy what's taking place in his house it's his house he's not happy what's taking place. he found it in disarray, and he's going to take some necessary changes, take some steps to change some things uh the, the verse 15, uh, we just look at it again, and he came, uh, they came come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and he began to cast them that sold, out them that sold, uh, and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold the doves, and he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. This is strong language, isn't it? This is indication of a confrontation, and it's a strong physical action. Uh, oh, cast out, overthrow, would not suffer. None of those words are soft, feely, nice words, are they? Now, I, uh, uh, if, you, if I said to you that I kicked someone out of my house, you wouldn't say, well, that must have been a very pleasant thing. Well, you probably would in joking manner. It's not pleasant. It's, a, it's physical, I mean, I mean, necessarily physical, but it's a strong event. It's not, it's not soft. And Jesus is taking control of the situation, and he's dealing with those who have violated the sanctity of the house. He's taking care of things. The phrase cast out means to force out with violence. That means they're laying on of hands, and it wasn't like good job. It was get out. Get out. Overthrow, uh, means to turn over. It wasn't like I bumped the table and Jesus knocked over the table. No, He overthrew it. The word suffer means to allow. He would not suffer. So Jesus entered a table and He begins to turn over the tables. He drives, uh, the people away and refuse to allow some to the temple. Try to imagine the scene. But just take a at the scene here, so it's Passover time. There is more people than usual at the temple. It's a busy place anyway, but now it's really busy, and, and Jesus comes through the doors of the gates of the temple, and he's getting things taken care of, and people and animals are running all around. Maybe the doves are flying away. There's tables being overthrown, and money's flying through the air, and, and the Lord has ordered people to stop walking through to get rid of the fenders. Did you ever get that as you read that before? This week as I studied that, I really got that picture. He, he, he's getting, he's cleaning the temple, folks. He's getting things right. And you know, this is not the first time that Jesus had done this. He had done it back uh, the previous Passover in John chapter 2, <clears throat> verse number 19. But obviously the reforms that he brought to the temple at that time did not last because they're back at it again. The same things that were there before are there now. And he comes to seek to restore it to be a place of worship, a place of holiness, a place of spirituality, not what's going on there now. As we looked at what they're doing at the temple just a few moments ago, it didn't seem all that bad, did it? You notice I kept mentioning convenient? It didn't seem that bad. After all, <clears throat> the sellers and the money changers we're providing what, for what some might say were necessary services to the worshipers. What's wrong with that? Why would Jesus be so drastic and violent in his actions? It was very, very convenient. It was very convenient. I think the word, the answer lies in verse number 17 of our chapter. Jesus quote in two parts, two verses in the Old Testament. And Isaiah 56 verse 7 it says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And then Jesus quotes Jeremiah 7 verse 11 and says, Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. The Lord takes each of these decorations and he's gonna, he's teaching. He's upset. He's not happy. He's angered by what he sees. My house, that's the first problem with the very function of the temple of cells. The house of God was never designed to be a place of commerce. It's not. It's never been designed that way. And when the temple was first built, it was for the glory of God. And God filled it with his glory in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And God promised his people that he would meet them there in the temple. He promised to hear their prayers that were prayed in that place in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 as well. It was to be his house. It was where they're supposed to worship him alone. God has the right for that. Amen? Worship be alone. The temple had ceased. To be about the Lord. It had become a house that was man centered and not God centered. The temple was no longer God's house, it had become a house devoted to the needs of man. It shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. The temple was designed to be a house of prayer. The needy could approach God in that place. True believer, if he was a Jew or if he was a Gentile, could come to the temple and pray to the Lord. And God promised to hear those prayers. My eyes shall be opened, my ears shall attend on the prayer that is made in this place. That's very specific, is it not? Jesus says, "If the Word of God says, come here and pray and I will hear you. Obviously, this is before the church. You know, different, different dispensation and things. He says, come here and I'll hear you. Not only a place a Gentile could approach God, but it became a, it wasn't that anymore. Now it's become a marketplace. Could you imagine? So you got all these animals. Well, animals need water. They need food. They need someone cleaning up after them as they're waiting to be taken for sacrifice. You know, there's all kinds of other things happening here. Have you been to a market? Like, not like around here, but like in maybe a different country where there's an open market and they're selling things. It's not a quiet place. It's not designed to be a quiet place. It's it's the guy with the biggest voice is the one who sells what he is. And you can probably sense, or if you know that kind of situation, you probably hear people who are haggling over the price for something. I'm not paying that for that. I'm going to go over there. And that kind of, that's what happens at a marketplace. You know, and it's loud and there's nothing wrong with that, but it shouldn't been here. Shouldn't been there. And haggling and noises, and I'm pretty sure all the animals weren't just sitting there being quiet. They were making noises. You know, making a racket. There was no way, so this is the only place, remember, this is the court of Gentiles, so this is the only place, if me or you were there, that we could go and pray in the temple. So there is no quiet. It's, it's loud. How, how could you meditate on the things of God when you're hearing, uh, the bull back there snorting and the guy across the way is trying to get the dove less money the money changer's purse is moving? There's no way. It's too much noise. Hey, I'm gonna be really honest in my own life, the best time for me to pray is when it's quiet. I don't know how people can do it when the radio's going and the kid back there is telling telling a story. I mean, I'm just trying to focus. If it's in the car, I'm just trying to drive. I can't pray. Besides, Lord help me. You know, that's about it. I, I can't really meditate on the things of God. And so that's what's happening here. And, and the Jews had effectively, they had effectively closed the door to the Gentiles. Though they didn't actually close the doors. They were closed because they couldn't even worship there because of the marketplace. But they had made it a den of thieves. The den of thieves could be interpreted interpreted two different ways. Both, I think, meanings are in view here. First, a den of thieves could refer to a cave where the robbers hid themselves away from those who were searching for them. Hideout. Second, a den of thieves could be referred to a place where the robbers hid waiting for the unexpected victims to pass by. and when those in the temple heard Jesus say that that day, they were acutely aware of what he was saying. Oh, uh, I have traveled from here to Newfoundland by car, and from here to Florida by car. I have never feared going through an isolated place in the highway of thieves. I've never feared that. Now, there's some gas stations I just drove on by. I'm hoping for the next one, because it didn't look very good. But well, I've never feared that if I stop, if I stopped in a and a, a like coming around a corner, that there would be a roadblock and someone would steal from me. I've never had that fear. But these people did. There's all kinds of stories in the Word of God talking about how the robbers. Uh, think of the, uh, the Good Samaritan, right? The guy who got hurt, who got ambushed and was robbed. So these men, these individuals, knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Like robbers the high priests and their followers were hiding themselves away in the temple, seeking to hide their wickedness under the cloak of holiness. Like these, these men were waiting for the foolish to enter the temple so they'd take their money. You see, while the sale of the animals and other items for worship seemed harmless and helpful and convenient... Let me uh, let me help you understand, it was not innocent. It was not innocent. Okay, just for comparison's sake, let's just use this for example. A dove, <clears throat> the most inexpensive sacrifice to bring, was a dollar, for example. Well, there is record that in the temple, that the dollar would be on the street outside the temple. Once you entered the temple the price would go skyrocket. Uh, I I, I don't know how these people would know these things, but some people, scholars I read and things, they said it would be a dollar on the street, you went in the temple, it was $25. I mean, we're not talking about just a little bit of convenience fee. We're talking exorbitant amount of money. And the people who came to worship were being charged grossly inflated prices, and the money changers were just as guilty. You know, uh, so you would come with your currency that you were from that country, but you had to give the shekel in the Jewish money, so you'd change your money, and they would charge a 10 to 12 percent exchange rate. Even if your money was worth more than the shekel, you still had to pay that. They were also guilty of extortion by meaning of practice of obtaining something, especially money through force or through threats. Sounds like a great place to go worship, doesn't it? Absolutely not. On top of this, the high priest and his family were paid a percentage of the profits these people made. Can you believe that? They were getting paid a percentage of what these thieves were making in there, so they were thieves just as much as they were. And on top of that fee, the sellers had to pay again permission, paid to get permission to sell in the temple. I mean, talk about a money racket. That's all it was. And they were preying on the poor. Boy, it hasn't changed, has it? It has not changed. They are preying on the poor, and the temple was nothing but a den of robbers, den of thieves. And then we see Jesus talking about not allowing people to use the temple as a shortcut. The, the the Jews have an oral law called the Mishnah, and it actually forbade the Jew from using the temple in this way. It says, a man may not enter the temple with his staff or his sandal or his wallet or with dust upon his feet, nor may he make it of a short by-path. So even in their own law, they said, we can't do this, but it was happening. It was happening. They were cutting through. It seems like the Jews had lost all respect for the holiness and sanctity of the temple and they treated it like grounds like any other place. The house of God was looked upon as convenience first and how the person saw how to use it to their best. When Jesus saw his father's house being treated this way, he took measures to make it right. And it was absolutely necessary. Now, as I thought about this portion of Scripture and this this situation, you know what really, I mean, we could talk about all kinds of other things that were wrong, but I really believe this is the biggest, this is the reality of it. The reason they got to this place was the condition of their heart. Their heart. Their heart was wrong. I mean, we can talk about all kinds of things, but the reason the Jews were defiling the temple was due to the fact they had ceased to reverence God. That is the problem of the heart. That's what it goes right back to is the heart. They simply did not love him. They did not adore him. They did not respect him as he should. They did not carry out his words in their hearts. They just did as they wanted. They traveled down the path of their self-indulgence. They'll do what they want. We'll make it convenient. We'll do what we want. They were wrong, weren't they? Absolutely wrong. Their heart was wrong. You know, and today there's a whole lot of churches that got the heart wrong too, folks. I know the church is not the temple. I know we're in a different dispensation. I understand those things. But you know today there's so many churches trying to make it convenient. And they're tossing out the really important stuff. Because the heart's not right. They don't love the Lord as they should. Now, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand. But these churches that are chasing down all kinds of new forms of worship. I mean, it's, it seems to be the more exaggerated, the more, I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff in my time. I'm like, what? Why? Why do you need that? I mean, we, you, I mean, it's crazy. I won't even mention some of the stuff I've seen because it's, it's not appropriate in any way. Now, why are churches embracing those fleshly styles of music? Why? Now, I'm not against new music. You know, at one time, Amazing Grace was a new song. You know that, right? And Amazing Grace did not happen the day that Jesus was born or anything. That was been written many years later. So it's not a matter of new. Listen, folks, your music needs to be right on the money biblically. What is the Bible? If your song is lining up, and I understand, you understand as well, there's styles of music that are absolutely wrong. Raps never right in church. I'm going to be gonna... You don't like me, that's fine. I'm, I'm going to get over it. There's music that will not happen on this platform. I'm going to show you right now. It's not going to happen. Uh But just because it's a new song, you, you say, oh, I can't, can't, can't sing. No. Make sure it's biblically accurate. I've been to churches and this guy, I've... I've heard people sing songs in church, and I'm not talking like uh, churches that nobody knows about. These were what one time, they are no longer, but at one time they were giants of the fundamental faith, and a guy sang a song, and Jesus was never mentioned once? I mean, I had to really interpret the song to figure out, I think that's about Jesus. And if i got to do it, do you think the visitor who came to the church that day got what that song was talking about? Probably not. Hey, if there's anywhere that His name should be lifted up, it's right here. Right here. We're never going to be a of the name of Jesus. And we're going to sing His praises. We're going to sing to Him. Biblically accurate. It needs to be. Why are churches abandoning biblical tr- preaching? They're, they're abandoning it for... Discussions. I have no problem with discussion. I have all kinds of discussions every week. But folks, when I get in the pulpit, you're going to get preaching. Because I need it and you need it. That's what the Lord tells us to do. Amen. To preach the word. To preach the word and let it go forth. And churches are abandoning the doctrine in in favor of self-help and therapeutic talks. Hey, listen, I'm not downplaying there's times where you need to talk about things, amen? There's times for counseling. There's times of hey, one-on-one. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not throwing off the boat the good stuff, folks. We're not throwing off the doctrine of Jesus Christ. There's so many things we're not throwing off. If if, it's got to be therapeutic talks, well, I'm sorry, this is not the place for you. Not from this pulpit. You know, i got no problem sitting down and talking with people. I do not have a problem with that. But when the focus of the church becomes that, that's a problem. And why do people have the mindset that the church exists simply for their convenience? You know, I'm so glad my, pro- my parents brought us to church all the time. I'm so glad for that. I mean, I'm sure there was times when I was 12, 14, and maybe 16 where I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to church today. And my dad said, get in the, get in the truck. You know, and you didn't say no to dad. Amen? Not too many young ones here, but you better not say no to dad, alright? Uh, and I, I, there's only like three times, there's only three kind of situations where we wouldn't go to church. Snowstorm. But even then that wasn't the best because my dad was the plow driver. So I didn't get away with that one too many times. And, and, and then, you know, if you're sick, you know, and my mom, I'm telling you, she knew when you're putting on a fake. Yes, you moms got that, don't you? God gave it to you, so that's good. She knew it. No, oh, get up. And she was really good at school. I tried to get out of school more than church, but anyway. any uh, And then vacation. And you know what? The only one on vacation, my dad still found churches. That was before the day of internet. I remember we went to Tampa, Florida. And um, we went down there. We were down for three weeks. I don't know how my dad pulled that one off. But we went. And we didn't starve or anything. We, we lived good and things. And uh, we got there. And uh, my dad found a church in like two days. We're going to church here. And we went to that church for the whole time we were there. And what a great church. And I mean, it was a great Bible preaching church. And you know what? So about 15 years later, people from that church... Showed up in Newfoundland and helped us start the church in Deer Lake. They didn't even know who we were. I started talking to them, like, hey, where are you guys from? And they told me I was like, What? I went to that church when I was fifteen. And they're like, No. I'm like, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, the Lord? You know, it's just unbelievable. And listen, folks, the, the question is not about convenience, it's about the heart. Where's our heart? And that the Jewish folks here got it wrong. Not all of them, but those in leadership got it wrong. They didn't have the heart for God, and uh, they were treating the things of God like uh, uh, the way they did because they had a small view of God. What's your view of God today? How are you treating God in the sense of how are you live in your life? Because I'm afraid there's a whole lot of Christians who serve a really small God when He's not small. And that's how you view them. And that's where you put them. You put them in third, fourth, fifth place, or even if maybe some weeks he doesn't make the priority list. And I I mean, I could really preach about that. I could get really upset and I could yell and scream and things. God demands first place. He deserves first place. Nothing in your life or mine should come before the Lord and His work. Now, I understand not all of you are going to be full-time Christian workers. I understand. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you doing right each and every day. You having a, a personal, vital, growing walk with Jesus Christ. You're taking opportunities to serve the Lord when they come your way. You're serving your family. You're showing them a good testimony. You, you know, there's so many things we can talk about. We should treat Him, His business, His word, His worship, His house, like it's important because it is! We should treat it that way. We can get pretty upset with the high priest and those folks in that, in this situation, in this portion of scripture, but we need to make sure before we get upset with them that our hearts are right with God. Where are we? Where are we? Hey, when God is first in your life, it'll show. And when he is not, it will show. Just being honest. A determination at the temple. Verse number 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and they saw how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was come, he went out of the city when the Jewish leaders heard, and they probably saw what he did, and they definitely heard what he said, I'm pretty sure people knew things weren't going the way they should be in, in the temple. I, I don't believe everyone was blinded. They, they probably were figuring some things out, and maybe Jesus, by saying this, some people's light bulbs came out and said, like, yeah, that high priest, he's up to badness. He's, he's not doing right. Once he did that, they resolved in their hearts that he would die. They sought how they might destroy him. You now, before the end of the week, Jesus would be dead. But boy, they didn't know what was coming next. But he would be dead. It's interesting to note that the people were amazed by what they saw Jesus do. And what they heard him say. Now, I don't doubt for a moment there was numerous, if not many, people who were at that temple that day who were sincerely trying to worship God. I don't doubt that. I don't think everybody who was there was trying to fleece people. Now, I think there were some people there who were genuinely trying to worship, but they were being fleeced by the very people who should have been leading them to the Lord. I mean, I got to be honest. When I read this portion of Scripture, it really boils my blood because these are supposed to be the leaders, and they were fleecing the people, taking them from all they were worth, and then some more. The people that heard Jesus that day—I think some of them—they were interested in the reforms that Jesus was trying to bring to the temple because they're probably tired of getting being taken advantage by the high priest and his followers. In the end, it did not change. The temple had been defiled. God was offended and judgment was coming. The fig tree that we looked at previous, you know, Jesus judged was a living illustration of what about happened at the temple. Because they promised life, delivered only death. They were destined for judgment. Because they were all leaf. I mean, if me and you went to the temple that day, we would say, wow. This place is alive. And it was. I mean, there's people everywhere. But there was all kinds of bad things happen. It was alive, but there was no fruit. Less than 40 years later, judgment did come. He came with the form of the Roman general named Titus and his Roman legions. Uh, just this week, I, was, I, I like to read military magazines and history and things. And just this week, I picked up a magazine and it talked about this battle. And I read in length about it. Titus did not want the temple to, to be destroyed. He didn't want that. But his men were so enraged by the actions of the Jewish folks, they tore it apart. It was not his command. They were filled with rage. Is what they had happened to them and judgment came to the temple and those who were pervert the things of God. Judgment came. And the lesson is clear for us. We can be people of God that God will bless, you know. We, we can be in that, in that vein. Where we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to serve God and we love Him and we're growing in our, in our love for Him and our desire and our worship and our service. Or we can be people who say, yeah, I know there's a God, but I'm going to live it my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do things. I'm going to do it so it's convenient for me. You go down that path. Hey, If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and you're living that way, I get some I get some words for you, and they're not good ones. The Lord's gonna He's gonna judge you for that. He's gonna He's gonna make some course alterations. He's trying to trying to bring you back from that. And I've seen it so many times, and you've probably seen it too if you've been a Christian for long. Those who have gotten away from the Lord and they're not doing what's right, and the Lord brings things in their life to redirect them. And sometimes it's very harsh. Sometimes it's a great burden. Sometimes it's great loss. But hey, if you're one of His, He loves you and He's going to try to bring you back. You know, as I said earlier, if you love God, it will show. And if you don't, it will show. You can tell someone who loves the Lord because they're faithful to serve Him, they love Him, they're given to the Lord, and they're just wanting to be involved, they're fruitful, they're full. They're full of life, they're full of joy, even though they might not have everything the world has. That's fine because the world never fills. It's Jesus Christ who fills the heart, amen? If you're looking in this world for fulfillment, you will you will be disappointed and you will have a lifetime of disappointment. But you come to Jesus Christ and you'll find joy and peace and happiness And you will be full. God can either use us as a church for His glory. If we're willing to follow Him, He can do that. Or if we decide to go the way that we see so many churches today, He'll have a convenience. It's all about us. It's about serving our flesh and serving our self-indulgence. And it's all about us. You know, what happened? God writes above that church, Ichabod. Done with that. Glory is gone. And God will find people who love Him and He'll use them and He'll go forward with them. And the reality is, let's make sure we're in the the love the Lord category. And follow Him. Follow Him to the ends of the world and then to eternity. Amen? Search our hearts. Search your heart today. Hey, folks, I love preaching through... Books, because it's never about, like, I heard something in church and I'm going to preach about it. No, you know what? The Lord just has an amazing way of bringing things up to encourage your hearts, encourage my hearts. I, I didn't preach this message because I heard anybody saying anything. I didn't preach this message because I feel there's something going on. No, this is the next portion of Scripture. That's why I preached it. But you make sure in your heart, you search your heart, and you make sure that you are serving. That you are loving and that your love is growing and it's it's getting deeper every day. You know, I think about when a baby's born and you hold that baby for the first time. You love them, right? You better. You love them. You know, that two o'clock wailing. I still love you. Oh, Lord, help me. You know. An eight-year-old, he's going to school. He gets a good grade. And, oh, I love you! Doing, I'm so proud of you. He's ten, and he gets in a fight. I love you. Don't do that again. But you know, over those times, your love is growing. It should be. It's natural. That your love for your child is growing deeper and deeper. You know, they finish high school and you're, you're brim with pride. And, oh, you're doing such a good job, young person. And, and, and you're going to go forward to serve the Lord or go to college, whatever it is. I'm so proud of you. Your love's growing. And then you see them walk down the aisle. And no doubt you're bawling like a baby. and I love you. It's natural, right? Hey, when we got saved, that first day we got saved, we loved the Lord, amen? But it should be growing because things happen in life, right? And we're growing in our walk and things are happening and the Lord brings things along and He makes us lean upon Him. Sometimes He carries us and we're learning to love Him more and more and more. Hey, is your love growing? The problem with the temple this day and the days preceding this event was that they did not love the Lord. They did not have the right view of the Almighty. How's yours? The problem of the heart.